Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Sullivan. Ah, Mr. Jackson. Okay, so soon. Well, yeah. it was amazing to see you in person. That was a nice thought. Yeah. We've spent some yeah. mainland time with you and Three Bob. years, that three, was... three years, three years. Well, in know, March it would be. Uh, no, February. Yeah, it's over, over. Yeah, that's right. Three yeah. years. In that's bo- crazy. In boulders. Yeah. So yeah. we should just preface that we were just in Palm Beach at the Four Seasons Palm Beach. I drove down from the Four Seasons Valhalla for the Free Zone Summit. And what a great few days we had. I mean, that group is just so outstanding. And, you know, only in that room combination and just everybody, you know, thinking along the lines of the free zone is such a, I mean, just from gavel to gavel, as they say, from the beginning to the end. Every minute of it was yeah. action. Well, it, yeah. it sort of gives me more proof in that there's a real difference between our brain and our mind. And, you know, my definition is that our brain is our thinking equipment that we're born with. Our mind is how we use our brain to access other people's brain. And and it's, you know, you could really see the, you know, the huge amount of communication and, and connection and everything that people had during the, yeah. during the day. But there's got to be rules and structure. It doesn't happen unless there's real structure. And, uh, you know, it was interesting. We had the timer there. You know, we had the timer, right? And uh, except the guy in back would forget to set it. So it happened about three times. And I said, Elhanura. He isn't going to remember. He isn't going to remember. So every time you have to go back and you have to let him know to when to reset it, you know. So, but the five, when we had the panel of five, three hit it right on the nose and three went about a minute over or two went about a minute over. So it was really good. And it's easier to talk about that subject in 70 minutes than it is in seven minutes. Okay. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, but I thought they all contributed a different dimension, and I think that was good for the audience because so many, you know, no less than the people, for the most part, no less than than the panelists. So the panelists know more. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, you got to make it useful to where they are. Okay. And right. Um, yeah. And I think that's but, the big uh, thing. Chat, chat GPT. Yeah. It's funny because every time I write an email now, I've got a little PS at the bottom. This was not written with the help of Chat GPT. Right, right, right. That's so funny. It's improved my writing, you. though. It's improved my writing. Okay. Yeah. So I'm uh-huh. writing in such a way that ChatGPT could not have written it. Yeah, this is, I was just having a chat this morning with Chris McAllister, who you may know. Yeah, I know real, Chris. Real yeah. Estate, okay, a real estate broker in, in Ohio. Yeah. And he was, he's been experimenting with ChatGPT. Today was his first day. And he had it write some articles for landlords, just tips, you know, things like there. And he was he was amazed at how great they really were. And then I tipped him off on the the 
rewrite it in the voice of Ryan Reynolds tip (laughs) to make it more conversational. And he's like, every one of these are just could definitely send out and add my super signature to it as the, you know, whenever you're ready, here's some ways I can help you. That, and I was thinking for anything that is like a, what I call a book report, meaning information is already known and it's gathering research and presenting objective data or objective information that's widely available. That's the perfect use. It's the perfect use for it. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't have access to, you know, your insight and your subjective information or thinking, or I call them field reports, your insights and experience in something. Yeah, it's really interesting. All my books are written in the second person personal, you know, which starts with the word, you know, you already know this. And I haven't tried it or I haven't had it tested out, but I think it would have a hard, it would have great difficulty with the second person personal. Which I think is the best way. That's the, that's what we really want to read. It's that's what makes it engaging is reading. Well, that's the way I write all my emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, you really have to know the reader. In other words, you're making Mm -hmm. claims about the reader, and Mm -hmm. you have to have unique long-term knowledge about the reader, at least who you want to be the reader, you know, who you... and, And I find that when you write this and it doesn't really relate to their experience, then they just, you know, they just stop. They won't read any further. But Mm. I'm just looking for a particular type of reader of any of our written communication. You know, it's a successful, talented, ambitious, experienced entrepreneur looking for a jump, who's looking for a jump, you know, and and everything like that. So the vast majority of what I write the vast majority of what I write would be not interesting to the general public. That's a really interesting way you just described that. Like I'm starting to see having, you know, four or five, six words that describe who the person is that you're looking for. I've been watching Deion Sanders journey, taking over the head coaching role of Colorado. And, you know, he's very crystal clear on who he's looking for. He's looking for guys that are fast, tough, disciplined, smart, with character. That's his five criteria for somebody to be one of his recruits or who they're looking for on the team. And I think what you just described, that's, you know, what's a five, what's a five-star prospect or five-star audience for? Strategic coach. Well, and you're, yeah. you're, you're positioning in your market. In other words, you're, I'm not looking for the world here. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to be useful to the world. I'm just trying mm-hmm. to be useful to a particular, you know, to a, first of all, totally entrepreneurial. You have to be entrepreneurial. You have to have mm-hmm. experience and you, you're, you're either finishing stage one and you're looking for stage two or you're finishing stage two and you're looking for stage three but you're looking for mm. what's you're looking for what's next you know mm. looking for and and you've been suspended i think usually i used to say the people who 
joined the program decided to do it a year before they found out about it. And they said, and what they've come to the conclusion that they need something, they've gotten where they are through their own devices, but now they're Uh looking for something. Now they're looking for something and they know they need guidance, they need help, they need new knowledge, they need new mindsets, and they're not getting them from any of their existing networks. Yes. But they had already yeah, it, made the decision. They had already made the decision that I got to find something. They just didn't know what the something was. Yeah, and I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. I was fascinated by just everybody that I talked to at Freezone of just the number of different types of you know businesses or, or the ways people run businesses. It's such a variety. It's amazing. Well, as, as unique as they are as people, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. What do unique entrepreneurs have in common with each other? Nothing. Either either the word unique means something or it doesn't, you know. Right, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if a, psych, a psychologist or a sociologist can figure out who you are as an entrepreneur, you're not an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's, you know, the thing that blends them all together. That's why I mentioned that, you know, part of the longevity or the, what makes strategic coach so infinitely interesting for a long period of time is that it's thinking about your thinking. Yeah. It's not, hey, let me tell you about my thinking. <laughs> They're not yeah. coming to hear about your thinking. They're thinking because, you know, you're giving tools for thinking about yeah. our thinking. Yeah. Yeah. When I first started coaching, there was a legendary motivational speaker, you know, in in those days. So this would be, you know, eighties, let's say, you know, when I really knew what I was doing and his name was Jim Rohn, you know, Jim uh-huh. Rohn. I know Jim. Jim. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And someone said that they had seen him rate the first year that he went out, and he was now 25, 30 years later, and he said, it's word for word. It's word the for same. word, what he did. Yeah. The same. And I uh-huh. said, I said, it just shows you there's a place for that. Yeah, that is. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. And, but that's, I heard somebody talk about that. You can either have the same talk and find a different audience, or you can yeah. have the same audience and evolve your talk. <laughs> yeah. <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and both work. The thing right. is that there's, because it depends upon who the audience is. Right. It, it just, yeah, it just depends on the the audience and, you know, and, you know, you know, it just uh, people are at, you know, totally different places in their personal progress and their personal development. And there's some sort of outside coaching that's probably useful for everybody at every level. Yeah, absolutely. That, that Contextually, that's, the, that's where we all have a common kind of experience, you know. That was, yeah. I've been thinking, uh, I've been writing and thinking about the our conversation about the VCR formula and the questions yeah. of, you know, that helping people have a conversation together about 
possible collaborations by just kind of examining the assets that we have uniquely for each of the vision, capability, and reach elements. Yeah. And it's really... It's, it's, Dean, is something being crinkled at your end? I'm hearing crinkling sound. I don't know. Let's hear. Yeah. Not hearing it now, but I was okay. I was hearing the yeah. And I just wonder if it's listening in, that's all. Okay. No, I don't think so. Sound like somebody was listening in, but they were they were unwrapping their burger. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> keep an Yeah, keep an anyway, you know, you get, you never know these days. I mean you never know. China is flying you know, over, uh, flying balloons over everywhere. Well, I feel safe about that particular issue because I, I don't think that the Chinese can steal anything that I do that would do them any good. That would do I them any good. <laughs> I'm thinking about that same thing. Like, I wonder what is it that they're surveilling? What are they looking for, would you think? I think it's probably electronic communication networks. I think that basically they're looking for one is they they're about 4000 years old and are largely ignorant of what happens outside of China. They are probably the most insular long-term people on the planet who who just first of all they're kind of tone deaf about what constitutes communication. Like yeah. they're just ba- basically very tone deaf. And I think that they they kind of think that if they get all the content, they'll get the context, you know, they'll, mm. and try to get the context of what's going to happen tomorrow in the United States from all the content today. Mm. Just leaves you large, just leaves you very confused. I can't yeah. even imagine, right? Like you think about, you think you're right, like that insular view and the, even like North Korea, for instance, is really locked down. That's pretty, yeah. I did hear that tick, there's a difference between TikTok in China and in the United States or the rest of the world in that in China, the things that get distributed or get, you know, the algorithm promotes are, you know, kids who are doing things that are notable, like, you know, achievements and plausible things and all. Well, they're totalitarian. I mean, first of all, you have to accept it's a totalitarian Uh country. Yeah. So they're only looking for messages that that reinforce total control. Yes, right, right. Yeah. And the kids have learned that, and they've just, you know, about 20% of them are unemployed and just don't try. They Mm -hmm. just don't try. And that is a severe threat to the country that they, you know, not involved in the striving to get where they are. So the kids sort of, they sort of figured it out that Mm -hmm. if they take pictures of me all day, I'm just basically lying down. What are the... Yeah. Uh, for some reason, if for some reason, I can be in any conversation except a conversation with Dean Jackson, and it's the only one that Siri interferes with. So I think somebody at Apple is especially interested in our conversation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They're especially interested. Yeah. They're especially interested in our conversations at Apple. 
because <laughs> they're probably having to interpret what the Chinese are picking up. So Apple is I trying think to that's probably <laughs> they're helping in the cahoots. Yeah, I wonder if the uh, I was thinking about what people you know. It's very t- surveilling other people is a really time-consuming activity. Yeah, I can't even imagine. I was just thinking I mean, about I, what. I, what don't you? I have a phrase. Being myself is a full-time job. I mean, yes, Don't you yes. find that? Don't you find that sort of true for you? I just find I, I don't have enough who time. I am and just keeping yeah, I don't have keeping time sort of on top of what I'm up to is a full-time job. <laughs> That's exactly it. Plus a full-time job. Plus there's still not a time. Yeah, I have to have who's. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I yeah. was thinking about yeah. what Peter Zion said about China, like as you're just describing that. What's the current population of China right now? Well, it's an approximation because they, uh, I no suspect point. that they themselves don't really have much handle on it, you know. But the number that Peter uses, that the Chinese uses, is about 1.3 billion. And yeah. they just revised that downward from 1.4 about seven months ago because they did a census and they found that uh-huh. they had overcounted by a hundred million. You know, they had, yeah, they had overcounted by a hundred million, and and that's because they haven't really got good st- recent statistics, and so that yeah. hundred million would actually be people who are younger than 40 years old. Uh, okay, yeah. and that's the worst possible. And seventy percent of them are male, or seventy percent of the miscounts are female. Okay, uh-huh. so that means they're missing about seventy million women who are mm-hmm. in childbearing age, and they're getting desperate now. They're creating all sorts of incentive systems for that's people crazy. to have as many children and everything else. But there's no possibility of it happening because everybody's locked in to making money. Everybody, you know, everybody's yeah. locked in to. And uh-huh. you, first of all, you don't have the money to have more children. The other thing is you don't have time to have more children. And uh-huh. the other time, thing is that you don't have the food for more mm. children. I mean, ch- children are expensive you know they're really they're really expensive so and he said there's a point where you're gradually losing population and then it happens suddenly then there's a real drop and they're just starting the drop stage right now they're yeah because wasn't uh, he saying that their own estimation is by 2100 half the population be, uh, six, by yeah. 2100 yeah so that'd be so you wonder what a world million. looks like with half the People. There's a show on TV that used to be called Life After People, and it was, yeah. uh, you know, a really interesting thing to project and show what, you know, a major city would look like if the people. Yeah, vanished. well, there is there is no world without people because right. we're the ones yeah. who we're the ones who create the world. Yeah, and that's kind of uh, there's no nature. So you, I mean, there was no nature until we named it. Uh huh. <laughs> Just a bunch of stuff, you know, it's just yeah. a bunch of stuff, you know. <laughs> and was that you saying, Dan, that we're that this is like the, I don't know whether it was you or someone else that I heard talking about this 8 billion being the 
kind of high water mark for the yeah the next, bi- next billion that they announce will be seven peter zion says that too there's that's just people dying naturally no cataclysm yeah. no famine no you uh-huh. know, uh, no no disaster that's just the top heavy global population people just yeah, right. you know, dying you know, in their 70s or 80s or whatever. That we're very top heavy. It's the most top heavy population in the history of in the history of history. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. And how is that true for the U.S. and Canada? No. Too or, or no, U.S. They're, and they're, Canada are the definitely Canada, not Canada and the U.S. Could happen to Australia and could happen to New Zealand. Well, Australia is losing population pretty well, or they will lose population. And I mean, the U.S. is probably the most unique because we can turn on the taps and what we want. I was want just going to say, with immigration, at any given time, at any given time, there's roughly 100 million people who would move to the United States if they could, mm-hmm. and and the. Canada's big problem is that it put in severe restrictions who could get into Canada. And yeah. you had to have money, you had to have education, mm-hmm. had to have training. And the problem with it is that they're not really becoming citizens when they come to Canada. They become property owners and they're driving the price of residential residential real estate through the roof. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's almost impossible, you know, I mean, you and I with you know, if we were in Toronto today, at you know, when we were in our early 20s, we probably would never be able to buy, certainly wouldn't be able to buy a house in Toronto. You'd have to go, you know, mm-hmm. to go to Orangeville or you'd have to go to some outlying mm-hmm. area. That's the real price. In the United States, a lot of low-income people come into the country. I mean, everybody's freaked out because the border situation and the illegal immigrants, but it, a lot of young people are coming in. And ultimately, that's good for the country if they don't turn criminal. The real problem with the illegal immigration is all the bad people who come across, the drug dealers, the, the gang members and everything. So the Mexican mm-hmm. gangs have pretty well taken over crime in almost every major American city now. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, the what's it? It's the Mexican or it's the what's that? MS thirteen. Yeah, the MS thirteen. They're from you know one of the Central American countries, and they are really they're really bad news, you know. And yeah, and I've been talking to people who have military background, and they said the U.S. is starting to create a whole special force that would be geared just to the cartel cartels, and they're basically telling Mexico. If you don't handle the cartel problem in Mexico, we're going to handle the cartel problem in Mexico. Oh, and, boy. Okay. And they'll reach a point where they just focus on the problem and it becomes mm-hmm. a hot political issue. And if you're mm-hmm. another country, you never want the United States to just give your country its full attention. Right. <laughs> Right. Exactly. It's like Canada. Every Canadian, you know, who's slightly anti-American. I've been here. 50, this is my fifty-second year, and and they said, you know what? I can't stand the U.S. Doesn't even pay any attention to us. And I said, if you ever read any history of the world, 
where the U.S. Uh-huh. does pay atten- does pay attention to you. <laughs> I got into a you know got into a discussion with a teacher in Canada at a oh. New Year's Eve. How'd that happen? What happened? How'd that happen? I know exactly. We were happen? at a we were at a we were at a New Year's Eve party, and she was going on about how Americans are ignorant about Canada that they yeah. don't know anything yeah. about Canada. I would and, say that's true. Uh, absolutely. And I called her out on it. I said to her, I said, why would they? Right? Like, why would they? Uh, the fact yeah. that you're sitting in your position, you know more about the United States because all eyes are on the United States, right? That's why you know more about them. But I said to them, I said, you know, how many provinces are in Mexico or states? Do they have that? Who's the president of Guatemala? Yeah. Who's, I, asked, I started asking her just general knowledge about any other Mexico. country in the world yeah. other than the United States and maybe the UK. And she yeah. had no knowledge. I said, you are just as ignorant about every other country in the world as Americans are about Canada. Why would they know about Canada? That's great. Yeah. And she was like, I never thought of it like that, but it's the proximity, everything, all of our entertainment, all of our news, all of our culture, everything has come from the United States, you know? Yeah. Well, Joe sent me, I don't know if he sent it to you, but he sent, he had shown him that if you go to the top of basically Lake Michigan, Okay. You go to Port Huron, Port Huron, you know, Sarnia, Sarnia is, and you draw a straight line east right across, right across Canada. There is a red line. There's that which is above, above the red line. And it's like 70% of the Canadian population lives in that parts of Ontario, Quebec, and the Maritimes, 75% of the population. And I said yeah. the other, and I sent back to him, and I said, "Well, actually, if you think about it, that ninety percent of the Canadian population lives within a hundred miles of the U.S. border, and that goes all the That's way true. from Nova Scotia. That goes all the way from yeah. um, Nova Scotia to British Columbia. Okay, yeah, it's just exactly. a it's just hundred mile hybrid. <laughs> That's about three thousand yeah. three thousand five hundred miles." And but I said the average American lives about five to six hundred miles from Canada. Okay, uh-huh. and so they don't get Canadian TV. They don't get Canadian right. anything. Exactly. All Canadians get American TV. That's right. I mean, That's I grew up That's in what... northern Ohio. Uh-huh. I grew up about forty miles. Well, I would say forty-five miles south of the Chatham area, sort of the Chatham, you know, mm-hmm. that southwest Ontario area. And we got yeah. the we got CBC television. We got CBC oh, you did. Okay. radio. Yeah. yeah, like we got Canadian football. Canadian yeah. football. When I was growing up, right, the day had to be right as far as the antenna goes. You mm-hmm. could pick it up, and so we were close. And I said, and so I knew a lot about Canada, you know, and I was interested. And but uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing. But what I found more and more Canadians don't know Canadian history. I mean, my, well, I think that's my, absolutely my, true. my, yeah. my team, you know, if I sit down yeah. and I said, uh, you know, do you know, you know, how Canada got formed and, uh, and right. uh, uh, 
And I said, do you know what the most recent province was to Canada? And he said, sure. well, they all came <clears throat> 1867. I said, no. I said, one of them came in 1948. And they said, mm. which province? I said, Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Newfoundland, was, yeah. It was British territory. It was mm -hmm. like British territory. Yeah. And do you know that there's two essentially Canadian islands that, that actually belong to France? Oh, and one you of know, them's and off the coast of one's off the coast of Newfoundland. Yeah, two of them, both of them, San, San Pierre oh, and Newfoundland okay. are both, <laughs> and they're just like a department, just French. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. like it's a French territory. They're France. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. they have gendarmes. They have gendarmes there, and <clears throat> you know, it's a probably a half hour flight from St. John's and Atlanta. Mm -hmm. That's where all the really in-depth language schools are you go there because mm -hmm. everybody speaks french and it's french french yeah. it's not it's not quebecois french right 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 yeah yeah so, that's i anyway. think that's all fascinating i love things like that like most people don't realize that the southern most part of ontario is you know further south than 20 or 25 percent of the united states Oh, kind of yeah. People think about it as like if you just draw that, you know, latitudinal line there, that it's uh, yeah, like Chatham. Chatham is probably yeah. the southern southernmost, and Chatham, you know, they might as well have palm trees. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. But you know, it's the yeah. same. It is the same as Napa. Like as the wine region, that's why that's why you know St. Catharines and Niagara on the lake. Yeah. That's why they're so conducive to wine growing. They're essentially and P Pele the Island, same as Pele Island. Point Pele, yeah, mm -hmm. Pele Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and one last one last little trivia thing is you can drive the distance from Toronto to Florida north and still be in Ontario. <laughs> I, thought <that> was, <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Ontario yeah. is big, yeah, very big. But we only think yeah. about the, you know, we only think about the two-hour ribbon around Toronto as Ontario. Yeah. You know, that's where all the population is. For sure. Well, the yeah, but it's even further east to west because the from the Manitoba border, uh, yeah, Cornwall to Kenora. I think that's the. Mm. It's the same distance from Washington, D.C. to Kansas City. Oh, that's Colorado, amazing. Kansas yeah. City. yeah. If you look at the, if you look at the meridians, as the meridians mm -hmm. come down, and, uh, you know, it's a little, I mean, the meridian isn't the, you know, because they're, the distance are shorter as you go north, but it mm -hmm. shows you the, the distance. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've actually driven that either, if you've actually traveled north to the top, and I'm not, I'm worried about you. <laughs> yeah, no, I have not been by car. I've never, I haven't been farther than Muskoka in, in a car north of Ontario. I've flown, I've been to Ottawa and to Montreal and to Quebec yeah. City and all that, but never driven. Mine would be Algonquin Park. I've not. Oh, I've driven to Montreal. You know, that's that's the distance. Mm. That's the, probably the furthest we've ever driven. Mm. Is that we've driven to Montreal, which is a, a one-time. It's a one-time experience. You wouldn't mm. want to do it twice. Mm -mm. And, and the, yeah, it was interesting. I, we were at the Four Seasons, which, of course, is a Canadian 
creation. Not anymore. Uh, Gates, Bill Gates owns most of the, I think Izzy Sharp still has 10%. I think he bought out the Saudi prince. There was okay. Saudi prince. And so Bill Gates, you know, owns it and not a role model for hospitality and service, you know, not exactly. But but that was my, that's my 30th Four Seasons Hotel that I've stayed in, the one in Palm Beach. Yeah. Wow. And I've stayed in Four Seasons Hotels that don't exist. And I've got one that hardly anybody stayed in, the Four Seasons Belleville. Belleville. <laughs> Belleville. Is that a real thing? Okay. Oh, that yeah, was well, in the early days? It was. Yeah. It's oh, not right, anymore. Right. And what it was, it was a collaboration between the Four Seasons and uh, Bell Canada. Okay. So Bell Canada has a big conference center in, in Belleville, or did in those days. And, you know, they have executives, but they just had motels to for their people to stay at and and sharp and whoever was in charge of bell were talking one day and say would you ever have need for a training training hotel and he talked izzy sharp into that they would i think they took over an existing property and they you know they um for seasoned i it's they seasoned it you know for mm-hmm. seasoned it and everything like that and, and so Babs and I were driving back, I think, from Ottawa. We were driving, and we were on the 401, and I knew about it. And um, I said, you know, there's a – and she was really tired. It was a hot day, and the air conditioning mm. had gone off, gone out on her sob. She had a sob. Mm. And uh, so we – I said, well, why don't we – you know, it was about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock. And I said, why don't we – why don't we just stop? There's four seasons. She said, four seasons. I said, yeah, they have a training mm-hmm. hotel. You know, the restaurant was great and everything else. And I just said, I just have to go to the restroom. I went to the restroom and I signed her. I signed us up to stay overnight. And I came oh, back yeah. and I said, here's the key. Here's the key. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah. And so I've talked to a lot of people, but nobody had ever stayed at the Four Seasons Bell. That's great. I like that. That's a good the room, yeah, feather I mean, in your fourth great. Yeah. yeah, it must have been like their original motel on on Jarvis Street. You know, they have took you over. His, have you read his book, The yeah. Story of the Four Seasons? Yeah, it was really well yeah. done. Yeah. I, yeah. I like it that, was a, that hearing. Jarvis Street was still the red light district in those days, you know, when they started. Yeah. That, it was, you know, that property wasn't known for its overnight guests. <laughs> hourly rates only huh? is that what it hourly was? rates that's... yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh that's so funny yeah and even those who those who did stay overnight broke it down in the six or seven sessions you know <laughs> oh, right, anyways right. yeah but the genius of it is he got the bell canada or cbc canadian broadcasting corporation for those of who are not listening from Canada and are ignorant of Canada, that it was the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation was right across the street. This is their main radio station in in Toronto, in Canada, actually, their main radio station in Canada. And he convinced them that they should put a studio right in his motel and that it was going to be first class. The motel was going to be first class and all their guests could stay right yeah. there. And then they could just have breakfast and go 
they didn't have to walk the they didn't have to go outside they they could do the recording studio and so it was hollywood people and broadway people and country and western people and everybody said this is the most amazing motel you've ever been to in your life and that's where the outside connection you know really came from i love that i don't know what it is but i really love hospitality kind of stories like i love I loved reading that book. I love reading about Danny Meyer, and I love yeah. you know Chip Conley, the yeah. Danny like Meyer is the uh, Union Union Square uh, he, the yeah. restaurant chains, New York City. Yeah. Chip Conley, who's he? I don't. I've heard his name, but I don't. So he owns hotels called they're oh. mostly West Coast hotels, but he's a hotelier, and you know, that hospitality type of, you know, approach. And I think it's funny that every one of them, you know, you realize the intersection of it all is design is a big part of everything. I think that is, you know, like you look at what the Four Seasons, their approach of starting with the most beautiful canvas, you know, to start with. They start with like, premier properties and I don't know I, I think I which they don't know the, right which exactly. they don't know yeah yeah the new four seasons in London at 10 Trinity yeah. Circle is just beautiful it's in this you know amazingly historic building overlooking the King London Tower Bridge and yeah it, but you know, it just everything about that environment is is amazing. Yeah, and I think there's something to that. You can't have. I don't know whether it's like the vessel for hospitality. Like I, I, I would put strategic coach definitely has a five star hospitality own to it, right? When you go into either Chicago well, or Toronto. And everything about yeah. the environment, the design, the you know the volume of staff, and you know the way you're welcomed, and everything's definitely a five star. Thank you. Vibe. Thank you. Was that? I appreciate a, is that one one of the things? I mean, I really studied the Four Seasons was one of my yeah. big studies mm-hmm. in the '80s, end of the '80s, crossover to the '90s. So we got our first, you know, workshop the in 1989, and mm-hmm. you know, and I had really studied four companies. One was Four Seasons, and that's I uh, had a lot of experience during the 80s. 1980, I started staying at Four Seasons hotels. And Babs and I, you know, both of us stayed. The other one was Canyon Ranch, which was the role model. It was the industry changer for luxury health spas in the world, you know. And, you know, Babs and I have been stayed there 50 times or so. And then Starbucks, you know, especially from packaging. And then Apple. So those are my four packaging models. Benchmark, right. uh, Yeah. And probably Apple has done the best in the technology world of not hassling you. I think I think probably Apple generally their platform and their their access is the most hassle free technology platform uh-huh. there there is. 
And, and, you know, and Starbucks was, you know, the, I mean, they were the pioneer that introduced SO-based coffee to North America, to the United States. And, you know, and yeah, so they were all, they were all industry transformers. I think all mm-hmm. four of them were industry transformers. But the big thing was the client-centeredness, the customer-centered their, their model, you know. And uh, I think Starbucks has probably fallen off the most. It's uh, easiest one to reproduce. I mean, easiest one to reproduce. And all their competition is people who were trained at Starbucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's really, I think that's evident. You know, now when you look at strategic coach through any one of those lenses and you see the impact, you see the influence of it on, on strategic coach. Do you have some sort of conscious, I don't know what you call it, documentation or, you know, style guide or a tone thing? How do you communicate that or convey that to yeah. maintain well, that I think, through everyone? Uh, actually, because our, you know, and I think this is true for any company, that your employees are the public's all impressions of your company come from customer contacts with your employees. Mm. And so one of the things we got right of the way that that we would, you know, our attitude to our employees is what we want to pass on to our customers. Okay, so we put all the uh-huh. emphasis uh-huh. on our, you know, our emphasis. And the first thing is that when you join us, we're going to, together, we're going to discover what your unique ability is. And we want to know what's unique about you. And you're going to have to do work because we need work done. But as soon as we can, we want to get you into, you know, into a situation where you're doing what you love and you're doing what you're best at. And you're in teamwork with other people who are doing the same thing. And that Mm -hmm. one concept, I think, is the cornerstone for everything else, the packaging and everything. And, you know, I have... uh, you know, I have sort of a packaging kind of mentality, and I've established all the, you know, the type style. Brand guideline. Yeah, style the, guide. Yeah, you know, the whole graphic thing. I'm the one who established, mm-hmm. you know, all that. And, uh, you know, and, and it's the only part of the company that doesn't have to do with my coaching, where mm-hmm. I'm on it if I see any breakdown and the use of type or the, you know, something mm-hmm. just doesn't look like, just doesn't look like coach, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And I'm all over it. And one of the things I'm interested in the chat GPT is that we have a lot of existing material that I never see like emails that go out and, you know, and, uh, you know, printed materials about program materials and everything like that, that I don't see. And I'll come across it. And it's like it's from the Department of Motor Vehicles. It's written, you know, hiding the compelling offer somewhere mm-hmm. deep. So, you know, and it's all convincing. It's all convincing argument stuff. It's not compelling <laughs> offer. And, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, and uh, we could run it through, you know, we could run it through. <laughs> I said, if you don't use GPT, everything's going to sound like it comes from Donald Trump. I'm going to uh, run right. it through the Donald Trump filter. And uh, that was a grabber, what Mike started off with, wasn't it? That really was. I mean, that all kind of set the... I mean, I was watching button. the audience. Mm-hmm. I was watching the audience. Oh, yeah. And, and some were real pleased and a lot were noncommittal. Well, I, don't, I think a lot of people were 
didn't realize what was happening. Like, you know, here's this, what Mike Koenig, what Mike did in his portion of the panel in his seven minutes was action packed. I mean, just showing what the capabilities are, but to show how, you know, he basically took chat GPT to write an introduction for Babs Smith and to then take that and he created a Donald Trump visual, I forget which place he used for that, but he was showing all the tools that he used to do it, but to create a video uh, of Donald Trump and then have it speak with moving lips and moving things, introducing Babs. And it was just No, it wasn't like, Babs, it was me. Oh, sorry. I had, right, uh, right, right. You did someone with show, Babs. I had done the original audio with Babs, and she said, I right. find that really creepy. She said, don't let that, don't let anybody else hear that. I find it really So no, no way. I tell you, no way we were going to do it on Babs, I tell you. But I didn't That's know exactly funny. what Mike was going to do. I didn't know the visual part of it, that, that some AI program will actually create the face, you know, and uh, yeah. everything else. Yeah, yeah. And, and was, uh, Mike has got a whole section at A360. Yeah, because exactly. I, I told yeah, uh, Peter that basically. he was. I told Peter that what he was doing, and he says, "Oh God, I gotta get in touch with him." And you know, he created the mindset scorecard there, and we're going to have to have a little discussion about the use of the mind, mindset the scorecard. But uh-huh. I let it pass. You know, he with a sixty-point type property. You know, so, <laughs> Capital P. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but it was got to make sure the that they have that it's a strategic coach tool. That's the big thing. Now. Yeah, I'll let him use it at A360, but it's got to, you can't repackage the logo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, you look at this, that I think that sort of use case wrapping, like I think we're looking at chat GPT as, you know, this artificial intelligence that's kind of like the, app you know the ios platform that and now we're going to see different apps layered on top of it and i I could see that as like a you know a specific use case like a scorecard generator that could be a strategic coach tool you know to make that it's programmed in just guiding you through the output of creating your scorecard you know yeah you know, the thing is that I think that looking for a particular capability is just going to get mm-hmm. you bogged down. My feeling is that you actually create a project. You actually create a project. I want something that looks like this. Now t- uh, now I'm going to have all of the AI apps bid on my project, of what they can do with the project. Because yeah. I treat techno- you know, I treat AI like it's a dog. You have to uh, let the mm-hmm. dog know who the elf. You have to let the dog know who the alpha is right away. You know? <laughs> right, no, right, we. Right. I mean, we had that discuss had that discussion, yeah. and that is that has to be. It has to be all intention driven. You have to. You know, technology will kill you if you're just trying to find out. You know what can it do? It'll do you for the rest of your life. That's what it'll do. Yeah. You know, you, you have to. Um, <laughs> 
And, you know, and that's the problem with it. It's very powerful. It's very fast. It's got a magical quality to it. You know, if, you know, no, nobody was ever seduced who wasn't looking for sex. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Yeah. You, if you're an alcoholic, you don't go into a bar for to get a glass of water. You know, say, right. oh, I'm really thirsty. I'm going to go into the bar and get a glass of water. Have you got any milk? Yeah. You know, you know, you don't put yourself in a situation where you know you can get captured. And uh, yeah, so that's why I, big, uh, that's why I'm still wondering from earlier in our conversation what you were doing at a party where there was a teacher. That's I'm still I trying. I'm not. <laughs> That's right. She's the wife of one of my friends. That's the oh, big one. Okay. Yeah. okay. I tell you, but, this is a teacher. This is a teacher killer. This is a yeah. school system. Oh, killer. man. I think ChatGPT is a total educational system killer. Could you imagine with like, yeah, Khan, all the information of Khan Academy, for instance, oh, yeah. loaded in. Khan and, Academy, yeah. GPT. Khan Academy yeah. and GPT. You just replaced yeah. Now, and then then the school system can just return to what it actually is. It's a it's a body storage. It's a body storage service for, you know, storing your children's bodies for, mm-hmm. for five or six hours a day or it's daycare mm-hmm. for five or six hours, you know, and, you know, but uh, but it's very funny. The Toronto School Board, because you have to, you know, you if you're going on Wi-Fi, if you're in any school, you have to mm-hmm. log on to the Wi-Fi of your, you know, of the school. So they banned mm-hmm. ChatGPT in any area of the Toronto School Board, any territory of the Toronto School Board. Well, okay. And I said, it. well, that's. I said, well, that'll discourage the kids. I mean, that's like, what I mean. That'll say, stop if it. They, yeah. if, if they don't want us looking at it, we better not look at it. <laughs> <laughs> Out in the open, yeah. Do not look at this dirty picture. Do not look at it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, know? my goodness. And I, I said, wow. I said, there's some sort of, there's some sort of marketing campaign. <laughs> How do you get it into the school system? You ban it. <laughs> right. Well, that's the that was the Shep Gordon lesson about Alice Barbara, Cooper. Barbara Streisand, Barbara Streisand syndrome. You know, yeah, you know that story, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you told me about it. Yeah, and uh, right. yeah, yeah. I don't want anyone to see the aerial photograph of my mansion in Malibu. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> now oh, you can create goodness. a whole. Helicopter, you could create a whole helicopter so, you know, service. People wanting to look down at Barbara Streisand. Yeah. And, but so one of our team members, her, her husband's a professor at one of the community colleges here in Toronto. And he's kind of tech savvy. So right after the 30th of November, when ChatGPT came out, he, I may have I may have said this on an earlier call, so I'm just forcing previous learning probably. Mm-hmm. But he immediately went and did it, and he said, this is really terrific. So next class, he went in, and he said, you have your end-of-term papers coming in, and I've got a request now that you can't get an A unless the paper comes in 
where you've used ChatGPT GPT as a companion to write the essay. Yeah, you right. can get a B, but get a B, but you can't get an A. And uh-huh. he said. In the meantime, he he created an app for himself on grading papers based on use of ChatGPT. Well, smart. It's so so great, that shows right? you two approaches. That shows yeah. you two approaches to education. Okay. Yeah. Which one would you bet on? <laughs> yeah, embrace it, right? That one. Yeah. I read. I heard. Which one uh, I watched a video this week of Alex Sermozzi had challenged his team to use AI and these new technologies to replace themselves. Is to figure out ways to replace themselves with that's AI. A, that's a great. That's a. Ooh, that's a really great. You know what would be useful is the Or's nine verbs. Yes. That would be great. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing, yeah. embracing things, is so much better. I've heard of other yeah. people paying $1,000 bonuses for people who can create something that replaces a portion of yeah. their it's of really, what they it's, do. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's really great. And who was it that was Evan Ryan, you know, who spoke? Yes. Fifth. He was the fifth speaker. Yeah. And he said he's incentivizing his staff that the more AI apps you learn, I don't know what the incentives are. He didn't mention money. Right. Yeah. Interesting times, Dan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really super. And I just want to tell you, I, Babs and I both totally enjoyed, you know, our discussions with Luba. You know, mm-hmm. and that was, you know, I really went after her <laughs> Ukrainian story. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I just eat that up. And it's a remarkable story. It's a, you know, ten, ten, ten children born there all moved to Oregon, mm-hmm. and now. <clears throat> that could be Idaho, you know. <laughs> you know the story about yes. you know, what's going on, huh? No, what's going on? Well, the, there's two parts of Oregon. There's Portland and not Portland, okay? right? And and so I think it's eight counties have now had referendums where they said they want to secede from Oregon and join Idaho. Okay, they want to join. Idaho. Oh my and, goodness. Okay. And it's legal. It's legal that that parts of a state with a ref- referendum properly organized, properly meeting criteria can uh-huh. secede from a state, providing the state that they want to join approves it. And Idaho is all for it. Uh, oh wow. And I think the reason is that it's a section that goes right to the Pacific. It's southern it's eastern and southern Idaho or Oregon that goes right there. And Idaho said, you can't beat it. We got the mountains, we got everything else, and now we've got the Pacific coast. I mean, this would be really great. I mean, there's nothing Uh, but pluses for Idaho here, and they're very productive. I mean, they're all people who actually work for a living, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, but Idaho would become the third largest uh, geographic state in the lower 48. That's how big it is. Big it is, but West Virginia got created this way. But West Virginia didn't join anybody that just seceded from Virginia. And uh, but it has to be approved by Congress, and it would pass the it would pass the House right now. And the only question could would it pass the Senate because it's a simple majority. It just has to be 
51 in the Senate, but it'd be really interesting. But I, I think it, when it will have, I think it'll happen. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, is, it's a bit like Brexit, you know, it's going to happen. And, and anyway, so it's really interesting. And it puts well, a pause. Yeah. Yeah. Parts, you know, next thing you know, parts of parts of Nebraska are going to want to separate and form further South Dakota. <laughs> I saw a funny. I saw a thing. Yeah, that's like the, uh, that's like the the only Canadians who were all for Quebec seceding were the Newfoundland, Newfoundland right, right. because they'd be that much co- they'd be that much closer to Toronto. <laughs> that's right. No, I saw a map. I saw a map of the United States labeled by people from the UK uh, without the names of the states on it. So they were naming, you know, everybody can recognize Florida and California and, you know, pretty much make your way around the perimeter and stuff. But they were labeling, you know, it was North Dakota, South Dakota, and then they had it further South Dakota instead of yeah. Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like the New Yorker. Did you ever see the New Yorker cover, how New Yorkers look at the United States? Yes, they did. Yes, that's Yeah, there's there's Newark. Old people So they're looking west. Going west, Mm -hmm. you have, you know, you have 2nd Avenue, 3rd Avenue, 4th Avenue, 5th Avenue, 6th Avenue, 10th Avenue, the Hudson. And then you you have Newark, then you have Chicago, then you have some, uh, you have some Soraya. Cactus trees, and then you have Hollywood, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then China, and then China. But it's true. I mean, it's like you're a school yeah. teacher. I mean, how much of Toronto do I know? You know, if it's above Davenport, I don't really know what you're talking about. You know, if it's west of right. Pepper, and I don't really know what you're talking about. If it's east of Victoria Park, I don't really know what you're talking about. You know, right? It's yeah. We all have our little bubbles on the mainland oh, yeah. that we're familiar with. Yeah. And as it should be. That's exactly right. And we can all come together here in Cloudlandia. Yep. And as strategic I love coach. It. That's right. In the free zone. I love it. Okay. Well, Dan, it was a great conversation. I always enjoy these. I look forward to next week. Yep, and it is a week from now. Thanks a lot for uh, going to eleven thirty. I, I was, we were with Shannon and Bruce, and we, oh nice, uh, and they they couldn't make the breakfast until ten o'clock, so we just wanted mm, to see awesome. if we could. That's great. We had, I got my, I got instead of a three waller hug, I got three hugs from one waller in yeah <laughs> in in Palm Beach. So that was yeah, you know. A nice compromise. All right. <laughs> okay. Have a great week. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Dan. Bye.